Welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about the preseason for breeding. Uh, this one is particularly carpet pythons, but could really apply to whatever python species um, you want. Um, there are some people that think uh, that when they buy a snake that they're going to put them together, they're going to breed, and life will be good. Although most carpets are easy to breed, there is a little more to it than that. Um, in reality, what you do all year long uh, will affect your success in trying to, uh, to hatch out some baby carpets. Um, so we're going to have Chris uh, Salemi join us, and um, uh, it should be cool. We're going to hear what goes on this past season and... Uh, you know, what he's got coming up, and then uh, we're going to get into what each of us do, some tips, some suggestions on what you can do now to make sure that you're ready to go come breeding season. Obviously, I think it changes with, like, species like chondros and stuff where they go mm-hmm. all year long. Uh, yeah. I would imagine pythons follow the same suit and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's really hard to uh, do pre-breeding prep when breeding season is all year long. So, uh, I don't know. We're going to have to, next time we have some chondro people, we'll talk about that kind of thing uh, with them. But um, I don't know what's because going on. Breeding season is all, I mean, because breeding season is all year round for chondros, I mean, they don't have a problem sitting a girl and not putting the boy in for a couple of months or uh, a few cycles or something like that. With other pythons where it's like one time a year, it's like now's the time to kind of make the decision of which animal you're going to try to, if you got to push an animal or, you know, give a little bit more attention, uh, now's the time to do it. Otherwise, you could miss the boat is what we're saying, a lot of that stuff. But um, like with my corn snakes, like I just had another clutch of corn snakes uh, laid uh, probably about two weeks ago. And it's like, damn it, you're supposed to be putting on weight. So that I could get you <laughs> to go, you know, for winter. And I thought you were putting on weight, but it, those all turned out to be slugs that you were laying. So it's, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with her. So she's got to put on a good amount of weight before I'll consider sending her down for winter. So, but apparently I'm doing something right. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that we're going to talk about, which kind of plays into, you know, uh, what, the, the uh, whole prep in for breeding season is, is um, Andy Grossman had uh, posted up um, in the carpet python discussion uh, board about pre- overproducing. And uh, if you can't sell babies from the last season, why would you um, make you know, more of them? Yeah. Make more. It uh, doesn't make any sense. Um, but uh, some people do that. Um, I don't know if that's really in the carpet python world as of yet, but um, we know that it's in, markets like the ball python market where they have these 50% off everything in this rack sale and have to make space for next year's uh, babies. And it leads to a lot of, uh, a lot of questions, um, you know, that uh, what's the right thing to do, uh, you know, oversaturation of the market, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we'll, we'll get into all that and uh, dig in. uh, The way, the way I kind of see it and the way we're lucky is that 
a lot of times yearling carpets, that's when they kind of show their color and that's uh-huh. when they really start to pop. So, I mean, I've had it where I'm like, oh crap, I just hatched out a bunch of more, a, a bunch of baby caramels and I still got like four or five caramels from last season. Oh wait, they're gone. So it's like, you know, it's one of those where people will spend a little bit more money on the yearling because the yearling's showing all the color as opposed to the little one that just hatched. So it's kind of like a back and forth kind of game there. Um, so, and then all those extras that I had from last year are gone before the new ones are even ready to roll. So. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I don't know. That's, that's a, that's a fine balance on like, you know, making sure that uh, you can clear out what you have this year. And uh, by the time the following year rolls around, I mean, you're seeing, you're seeing babies pit right now and we're talking pre-breeding. But I mean, it's only a few months away, (laughs) but it really is. Don't stop. Stop it. Stop it. All right. Stop reminding me of such things. I still have one clutch in the incubator still. Okay. So, but it's, 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 we also got to think is, is that when I say that I had some caramels left over last year, I had a clutch of, I think it was into the thirties caramels. And I have two girls left over from last year. That's it. Wow. So clearly we're doing okay. So, Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a doom and gloom thing, but I think like. No, you know, I think. Well, I mean, like, well, and also there's that one that like, <laughs> there's just one male that I've been trying to sell since he hatched in 2013, and he's still freaking here. <laughs> so it's <laughs> like, like I'm gonna prove him out eventually, and then he's gonna like he's still freaking here. So some some of them just I. They just don't appeal to people that are shopping or they find a better looking one or they decide not to go. I've almost sold that one male from 13, like four times. And people have opted for like his better looking brother, his better looking sister, you know, uh, this someone from another table. It's like it, it, that happened, you know. Can't yeah, fight it. Uh, um, yeah, I mean. I, I, you know, I, I was going to talk about some of the things that I recently picked up, but I've been on a little bit of a, <laughs> a, a, little bit of a buying spree as of late. Uh, uh, I love it. You were like, I'm going to cut down. I'm going to cut down. I bought 12 animals. I'm like, that's not cutting down. So it's yeah. like, well, it's the opposite. <laughs> so I think I talked about this last week, but uh, Matt came by and um, he dropped off uh, the Tiger Jag the Bale and Tiger mm-hmm. Jag that I, uh, that I picked up from Jason in 09 it was. And, um, yeah. uh, he took some, some of the blood. So pretty much I have a pair of bloods, um, Malaysian bloods and that's it. So Matt gave me the, uh, the male that produced my female and, um, nice, you know, regular bloods look, you know, uh, I just really dug the female, so he was going to sell that male, so he decided to, uh, you know, just to give it to me, and I, I gave him uh, gave him some of the, two of the things that he produced, and then there was the whole Batrix thing, and um, so, which, 
which is which is a cool looking snake, but Matt's gonna do much cooler things with it than more, I ever yeah. would. You know what I mean? So, and probably the same thing with the tiger jag. I'm probably gonna produce some killer stuff that Matt wouldn't necessarily have, you know, have produced uh, with with her. So, so there's that, and then. <laughs> My diamond python collection just kind of grew oh, a bit. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh, I, yes. I picked up this male um, that was one of Greg's, uh, Greg Himes holdbacks, um, which I can't wait to get this guy. Uh, it's uh, He's freaking fabulous. Um, so that'll be cool. Uh, and, he's, and he was he was geared up to go with my reduced pattern diamond girl um, that Greg also produced. Then it just so happened that um, Martin had messaged me, Martin Rosemond, um, about uh, his male uh, reduced pattern diamond. And, I, you know, I, I was kind of on the fence with it. And I was like back and forth. And I was at work. And all of a sudden, he posts up an ad for the male and a female from 2014. Mm. So... I quick contacted him about the, uh, the female and he's like, yeah, you know, this is what I would sell her for. And I was back and forth and he was like, uh, Hey man, I'm, I'm going away for like a month. Uh, just put me a deposit on it and we'll, 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 uh, situate things, uh, when I get back. And I was like, okay, done. And, uh, so I got this, uh, female, but the cool thing is, is that, uh, I don't know if you remember that pied looking, diamond that hatched out in Canada from uh, Michael Slom's oh, horse I do. Yeah. yeah. So that female is from that pairing but a year later. So God damn you. You know Or no, a year before. Yeah. So she's a twenty fourteen. Um so I'm pretty excited about that. You know I had that big animal plastic cage sitting in my colder room. And it still remains empty. And I was like, well, what am I going to put in there? Well, it'll be perfect. Put something in there. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be perfect for her. Uh, so, pretty excited about that. So, we got that. And then, you know, <clears throat> I picked up a uh, uh, New Guinea uh, mail from Derek Roddy because, you know, Chris, when, when Chris comes on, he, he has the New Guinea stuff too. And, um, now this is different from the European line of uh, what Nova Guinea. Um, these are things that uh, apparently came. I don't know. There's talk back and forth on what it came from. Did it come from the Barkers? Blah blah blah. There's you know there's an article that talks about uh, when uh, uh, the Barkers, when all that stuff was going on about illegal smuggling and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, conveniently the stuff that was coming from Australia suddenly became New Guinea uh, carpet python. So that's kind of the story behind that, that whether it's true or not, it's hard to tell. It's like one of those things, whatever, regardless, uh, they're cool looking snakes and they're definitely different looking than any carpets that you would get from, you know, uh, uh, you know, coastals or jungles or anything like that. So they stay smaller. They got bigger heads. Uh, they stripe. Throws all kind of weird colors. Like you get these exanic looking ones. You get these yellow ones. You get it's all yeah. kind of crazy stuff. But anyway, I have a few females, but I have no male because unfortunately my male died when I moved. 
Um, so I was like, well, what am I going to do with this? I think the thing is just to keep the line going. So that's why I picked up the mail. Um, I have a bunch of IJs coming in from Dave Kelly. It's kind of the same story as, uh, you know, the thing with the Michael Pinnell coastals that I got. Um, Dave had yeah. this email IJ that her name was uh, Valakai, Valak- I forget, something like that. I forget what he calls her, Valakai, something like that. Um, anyway, she's super banded, really beautiful animal. Um, and I've, I've always admired this animal. And it just so happened that he was, uh, you know, kind of trimming down his stuff because he just moved and uh, got a job working at a zoo. And um, anyway, he knew I liked her, so he contacted me and asked um, if I was interested in her, and I said yes. Then he said that uh, he had, like, three other IJs. Uh, one was Hollow Point, which is a K2 Eddie baby, which is freaking phenomenal. And then he bred those two together, and he produced one <laughs> one egg, just like I did. Oh, man. One year. So uh, that baby's doing pretty good, so that one's in the mix. And then there's a uh, Kafka patch female that came from Luke Snell, which is, uh, you know, for all my IJ people out there, I don't know what that means. And uh, so that group is coming. So I'm pretty excited about that. And then there's some other things that are coming down the line. Uh, we'll talk about that at a later date, but uh, when we're allowed I don't know. to, <laughs> I'm pretty excited. <laughs> uh, you know, you get pumped up, man, when you start getting cool stuff again. So, uh, you know, that is true. Yeah, that is true. You kind of get everything all into perspective and your projects are taking the next step forward. I mean, um, this weekend I, I, I literally broke down the photo tent and I took it down to Andrews and I took pictures of the roughies. Oh and boy. <laughs> I don't know what I did, but they hated me. <laughs> oh, like, that's because you got like, them away. <laughs> I got bit twice. I'm like, you're not supposed to bite me. How was the I'm bite? Like, Oh, it, they're, well, they're tiny, but it was surprising. I wasn't expecting it. And they did this scrub thing where I'm holding them, and then they double back on themselves and bite me in the forearm. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, what the hell was that? Uh, that's because you're spending all the time like, no! down there. spending all the no. time with those monitor guys. Monitors, i got to get them out of there. they got to come home <laughs> as soon as I can. <laughs> they're corrupt in their minds. Pretty soon they're going to grow legs. Um, and, I, and I say, and I say they all bit, uh, I said they all bit me. That's not true. Only the younger ones did. My older ones were fine, but they didn't, uh, the older ones didn't go in the tent. I didn't shove them in there. So that may have been <laughs> what was causing it. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, what's but, funny. I've been listening to uh, a lot of the older episodes. Uh, way oh, back why would you do that to yourself? Well, what's funny is, is that I was listening to the very first time Nick was on, right? So, um, um <laughs> I, I have I have found when you no uh, no were don't, sold don't play on rough scales. No, I'm not gonna play anything. All right, don't, don't be worried. Right. <laughs> but I'm like Rob. I'm like Rob sends you audio sometimes. Sometimes I say things that are stupid. Yeah. So, but uh, now I was listening to it, and you know, so I was listening to like the very first episodes, like uh, the one with uh, Ben and the one with Jason Balin mm-hmm. and the one, and I'm like listening to it, and I'm like. And we are so, well, first of all, we're so like, you know, inexperienced. Cardboard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, but it's crazy 
I think the thing that, that, that I think about is like when we're talking about like what we're talking about, like we're so excited about, you know, it's funny because you listen back to those episodes, right? And you're excited about yeah. IJs, which is crazy. No, I wasn't. Like if you, That's not true. Yes, you were, man. <laughs> <laughs> Never happened. Never this happened. This is what happened. Nick says, Nick says, oh, IJs are super easy to breed. Uh, they're so simple. You the little breeze blows and everything is good and you know blah 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 and you're like oh I might have to get you some eyes I have to get some of those yeah I know that was a, <laughs> was a poor choice of words yeah. yeah and then and then I listened to the episode with Anthony Caponetta which I totally forgot about some of the projects that he talked about but yeah. one was um, this blue uh, I'm gonna post a picture of it over in the chat but it's this blue and in this picture, you can't really see the, the what he calls blue, but um, it was like a jag. It was an IJ jag and extended from Hannibal's um, uh, pairings. But, like, he's talking about Bullwinkle and Hannibal and, like, you, you know, obviously I was excited, but the funny thing is hearing you get excited about that, you know? It's just like, listen, wait listen, a minute. Listen, 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 <laughs> listen, listen. When I was going through college, and, and uh, I mean, Caponetto's site, I was on it probably at least twice a week just right. to see what he had on there. Right. And I never actually purchased an animal from Anthony, which sucks because, you know, the amount of time I spent scouring his site and stuff, Bullwinkle and what is it, Bullwinkle, son of Bullwinkle or SOB, they called him or something like that. Uh-huh. Those were like two of the most gorgeous animals that were out there at the time and they were IJ Jags. So it was like, Oh, this is great. And, you know, you had the jungle Jags that were this golden bright yellow. You had the coastals, which are kind of like this, you know, mustardy kind of yellow. And then you had the IJ Jags that were like this dusky yellow. It was like, Oh, sweet. I could have all three of them and look at all three of my Jags at the same time. You know, if I had a ton of money and that was the thing. So Bullwinkle was always one of those like, I wish I had the cash to get into these animals kind of thing. So, yeah, well, I think that's what I'm getting at. I mean, I remember when, you know, uh, we were here, I'm going to share this now. Well, I remember when we were just getting into, um, you know, carpets and whatnot and, you know, Bullwinkle was like, that was the animal, man. Like, you know, when you would look up a Jag and, um, you would see like that animal would come up. Everybody would be like, Oh my God, this thing is amazing. You know, yeah. uh, I need something like that. And um, I don't It'd know be if like you and Benjamin would be the first two pictures in Google or something like that. Yeah. 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 And then he had these red hypo Jag things that were yeah. diamonds. And, and we're talking about this and it's funny because I don't ever know what happened to any of these. I think he's out of carpets altogether. I don't know. Well, that's Anthony, true. Anthony did really well with um, crested geckos. I mean, yes. and that was, he, he started doing that. He was doing a lot of geckos right at the height of gecko popularity or the, the, when, when the cresties really started getting into popularity or when they started making Pangea. So it became really easy to feed them. So, uh, and I want to say that he actually was selling directly to places like PetSmart and Petco. So they were yes. like wanting a good amount of gecko like a week to uh, this store, or that store, or this store. So 
he pretty much kind of took a back burner on a lot of his carpet stuff and uh, started really pushing the gecko thing because that's where everything was working. Um, yeah. The other thing is that he had a lot of projects that were like morph projects that mm-hmm. he bred them. And then like a year later, the morph project that he just had a bunch of people buy, buy a bunch of animals from would disappear. So, I mean, like it, the, there was the platinum, there was the liger, there was the spider, there was all this other stuff, which very well could have been morphs, but odd. They looked different, but nobody really any, did anything with them. I mean, not that I'm aware of, at least. He, he, so, didn't have the, he didn't have the spider. He had the motley IJ. Yeah, also, did he have the labyrinth, la, the labyrinth no. Uh, IJ? No? No, the labyrinth okay. was uh, produced by a guy in Florida, and last I knew, Nick and Paul was working with that project. I think at some point, okay. uh, Nick had sent it to uh, Chuck Poland, and uh, right. Chuck was, was working with them, but... Um, that's that's the last that ever happened with that project. I don't know. I guess we'd have I'd have to talk to Nick. I can't remember uh, what yeah. happened. But, and I mean, I don't want to say that. I don't. I don't think Anthony was like trying to cheat anybody. But you know, may, maybe jumping the gun a little bit on a few of these projects, trying to get you know, saying it was this when it, you know, you hadn't really well read yeah. it through. Uh, yeah, so. I mean. I mean, back in that day, though, anything that came out... This oh, yeah, Red Hypo Jag. It's not yeah, Red Bull Hypo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Are you kidding me? Talon is a Red Hypo Jag. I know that. So yeah. I bit hook, line, and sinker on that. And I have... Madam, I had a Madam Blueberry Benjamin line animal because I bit hook, line, and sinker on that one. So, yeah, I know. So. Yeah. So, uh... Send it though. Oh man. Oh, the other one is that the 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 lesser tiger. I bit on that one too. (laughs) Yeah, that was the one. You know, Bailen was talking about that in his episode. He was talking about how um, Ted Thompson had bred a Bailen tiger to one of his coastals and out popped these ones that I call it the zipper pattern, and it had this zipper pattern. And he called those lesser tigers. In a way, yes. I, I think that name is kind of like, I think what they were trying to get across is that, you know, the way the tiger gene works is like, you you know, and Jason talks about this pretty in depth on that first episode. And I know we did a tiger yeah, episode as well, but um, in that first episode that he was on, he talked about how, um, you know, the tiger gene really is dependent on what you're breeding into, which we all know, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be striped, but if it comes from striped lineage, then all of a sudden you're going to throw stripes and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and there was these animals that will come out like not really striped, but however, if you were to breed that to a tiger, you're going to produce some stripes, you know, so that's yeah. kind of I mean, where that whole idea came from, but. It is, and it's true because Trinity is one of those lesser tigers, and every tiger I've ever bred her to, she produces almost entire clutch of stripes, and every jag I've bred her to, the babies come out with, like, perfect bald back, which was something that was kind of unheard of when jags first emerged because you needed to get tiger in there before you started getting kind of like some organization to them. So, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I guess 
you know, we're going to get Crystal on here in a minute, but I guess the, uh, yeah. the, the thing that, <laughs> the thing that popped out to me is, is that we're talking about the market. We're talking about all these things, but like, I think about like right now, this year, say we're excited about, I don't know. You're excited about exanic granite jags or some, you know, yeah. some kind of like combo morph that's like a yeah. bunch of different things, ghost granite jags, all these different stuff. But like back in the day, you're excited <laughs> about tiger <laughs> jags. Granites. Yeah. You just wanted granites. Yeah. But what I don't understand is like those animals are still beautiful. Why are they not? Because they're not the fresh were. new thing. Yes. yes. They're not the brand new yeah. thing. They're not yeah. they're not cool enough to be the classic sixties Mustang, but they're not the brand <laughs> new two thousand eighteen Mustang. They're around the nineties Mustang that nobody likes. Okay. Yeah. So Which that's sucks where it goes. Because, dude, you can't tell me that there's like when I got that Tiger Jag back, um it's also it's just, yeah, I was like, Holy shit, this snake is cool, dude, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'm super excited, and probably nobody gives a shit, you know. Someone will <laughs> offer you $100 for it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, well, I don't know. Well, you remember that big jag that you had me sell, that, like, huge one that mm-hmm. you got from somewhere? Like, yeah, I got the, uh, turn, turn the clock back on that animal, like, to, like, I don't know, early 2000s. You show up with a jag that big at a reptile show, it's like, for two grand, I'll let you hold it. It's like, you know, that's that's how that thing would have gone. I think we ended up selling it for like a hundred bucks. Hell but, yeah. You know, that's just how it works. Yeah. So. Yeah, I guess it's just the nature of how things play out. But, you know, <clears throat> I don't know. Sometimes, you know, that's you can't forget, like, you know, and it's weird because we were talking about, in that Anthony Caponetto episode, we're talking about inland carpets, and he's talking about how, like, uh, you know, that was the first year that they were produced in the U.S., and him and Kerry were the first ones to produce them, and, you know, they yeah. were going, remember, they were $4,000 a piece, a pair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 4000 and I think I got I got offered a pair of inlands this year for 500 bucks, like the pair, <laughs> and they're adults. Yeah. <laughs> So, and, uh, so the, the moral of this story, young reptile children out there listening to my voice is don't go broke case chasing a snake. It, it'll come to you. So, you know, just, just wait. It's okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I just thought that, uh, it's, it's, and you know, I'll say one last thing before we bring uh, Chris on. But um, when I was listening to the Nick episode, the other thing that I found is when you fell in love with liasis. So right. we started talking about Maclot pythons. And at the time I had a Maclot, which this is crazy Good. to me because of the way yeah. that this played out. I had the Maclot yeah. python glitch and you did it. Yeah. Right. No. And you hadn't <laughs> given them to me yet. Yeah. And it was like, you're, you could care less at that point about anything like that. Right, you're just like I'm right. into my coastals. I got my jags. I got my tigers. I'm good. And All I want. Owen is. I mean, Nick is like you know. Somehow we started talking about olive pythons, and you know, you're like, well, one day I'll have olive pythons. I think that would be cool. And uh, you know, I Nick do. on his on his selling <laughs> selling 
way of selling things. It's like, oh, I could help you out with that. And like, you, exactly, can just hear, yeah. you can hear the gears turning inside your head as you're listening to it. And I'm like, <laughs> this is when it happened. This exact this is where, moment this is where it happened. It's <laughs> where it happened. And then, then well, no, you know, and, I, and I'll do you, I'll do you one better because um, where, where the whole Lyasa thing came is when you showed up with the clutch and you gave me glitch because I was like, I'm like, because I, I remember texting, I think it was texting Chris Foley when you're on your way. I'm like, Eric's coming with his thing. He's going to give me one of his pythons. And Chris is like, which one? I'm like, a Mac lots. And he goes, well, he goes, those are cool. I'm like, I don't know. I've never had one before. He goes, I think you'll enjoy them. I'm like, I guess we'll see. And then, like, you left, and I'm playing with this thing for, like, hours. I'm like, you're so freaking cool. So, yeah, that was <laughs> – Yeah. We'll go with that, too, so. That's funny. Anyway, let's but- – Let's, uh, yeah, let's get bring on Chris Salemi, and I'll start the clock now. You know what the clock okay. I'm talking about. I do. Hey, Chris. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, how's it going? Oh, not bad, not bad. Um, yeah, we're just reminiscent of the old days. Uh, you would remember that. You were back around back then, weren't you? Bullwinkle <laughs> and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I have, uh, I have a 2010 from, from Anthony. Um, well, there you I have go. a couple animals from Anthony. Okay. Um, but I have a I have a 2010 uh, SOB GQ IJ Jag. Oh, sweet. See, yeah. The only way to get Owen into uh, into IJs is to start talking about Bullwinkle. So. <laughs> I mean, congratulations, by the way, on that clutch that Jason produced for you. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> that is not the stopping of the clock, just so you know. But thank you. Oh, is that what that is? Was that what that was no, no, it wasn't. No, no, no. There are other things that you have to say for it stop the clock. So anyway. So <clears throat> before we uh, dive deep into this topic, uh, Chris, I thought maybe you could just talk about maybe what you hatched out this year, what you got going on, uh, and uh, – and such, because I know you've been uh, hitting it out of the park, so it seems. Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I paired up Stimson's, but didn't get anything. Um, I paired up uh, an Exantic male IJ to a IJ female. Um, I got I want to say thirteen slugs and and three. Three eggs. That's what I came home to from Bill's house, and okay. um, those those three eggs have gone bad. Uh, so I didn't get anything from that clutch. Okay. Um, I did head albino to jag head albino, and got I want to say fifteen eggs. Those are in the incubator now. I still got another month on on those. Uh, I did caramel to IJ jag. Um, those all just shed out, uh, and I did jag head granite to head granite, and I got one slug. That was the entire clutch, one slug. Oh, ah, geez. damn it. <clears throat> wow. So, do you have any, uh, any thoughts on what caused the slugs? Um, the one with the, that exantic male to the, the normal IJ, I don't think I put enough weight back on her. Because mm-hmm. um, I had let her do maternal incubation in the past. Okay. Uh, so I think she just wasn't back up to size. 
Okay. Um, and I also moved some of my females around. I added some more caging. And uh, I know, I think Owen does it this way, where some of his cages have a heat panel, and then they heat the one above. All my cages also, have heat panels. Oh, all of them? Okay, my, so yeah. the way I have mine set up is the bottom row has heat panels, and then the next row doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the one on top of that does have heat panels, and then the next one doesn't. And I moved some of animals around. So some mm-hmm. animals that may have had heat panels in the past, maybe they, I don't know, maybe they were able to get warmer while they were gravid. I don't know. It was just, uh, it was just strange because that, that female that gave me all those the 13 slugs, she's always done well. Um, I bred her four years in a row and didn't get a single slug. Uh, had all fertile eggs from her all four years in a row. <laughs> and for some reason this year, uh, I got all those slugs from her, and the only thing that was different was where I moved her around and then her size. Um, and then that that female, that head granite female that I bred to the jag head granite that gave me the one slug, that female's always been a problem. Uh, last year she gave me, uh, I want to say, five eggs and two slugs, and then <clears> two <throat> of those eggs went bad real quick, and uh, the three babies that hatched out never did well. I think by the time I was done, only one lived. And then this year she gave me the one slug. So I, I don't know what the issue is with her. Um, or if it hmm. could just be me. It could be um, I'm not doing something right with with her. I don't know. Right. Huh. But she is she is had granite, and I bred her to a granite that was her sibling, which could be a problem also because you know what happens when you don't outcross the granite. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is she original? Is she original line het granite? Because that could be, like, you might have the same messed up problems I was having. Yeah, I, or I, still am. I think so. Um, so that's why I tried breeding her to the jag het granite because at least it was it was outcrossed a little Some jag bit. in there. But then you're adding yeah. the jag into it. Um, I think you said it on a previous show. You're just putting a bad gene on top of another one. Yeah, sometimes that can be trouble. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, all in all, I was happy with what I got. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm curious to see how those caramel IJ jags uh, progress. Because I can tell you the caramel jag heck granite is freaking crazy. I love it. Yeah, I'm going for, uh, I really like the caramel stuff. Like, I really like caramel granite. Um, and then I saw something recently. I saw uh, caramel zebras. Those are nice. I saw one today on uh, on the Facebook. Oh yeah, I know the one you're talking about. <clears throat> it was but, on um, the pick of the week. It looked really cool. Yeah, it was really nice. Yes, some of them are just hard to tell. I I can't tell what's what's a uh, jag and what's a caramel jag. Uh, I think I sent the pictures to Owen. And you you told me to give it a couple sheds before you can real so why are you laughing? <laughs> no, so it's like it's, it's like you're sending it to Owen. Like Owen's gonna be able to tell you anything different than what you already know. Give it a couple sheds. You know, it's it's it, caramel is tricky. And also baby carpets are tricky. 
when they hatch out, you might be like, oh, my God, I got all these. And then after a month, after a couple of sheds, you're like, oh, my God, I only got half of what I thought I got. <laughs> so, you know, you got to got to pace yourself. I don't call anything out of the egg until we're like two, three sheds deep. Then maybe I'll start talking about what I got. So. Yeah, that's uh, and then you got the red from the IJ kind of creeping yeah, in, yeah, it which, sucks, which kind of confuses stuff a little bit. I had that problem with uh, like doing um, uh, caramel with the Darwin stuff, like caramel head albinos and stuff like that. Like trying to figure out what's what, you're kind of like, uh, uh, is this caramel? Is this red because of its, you know, it's a Darwin or like what's going on here? So, yeah, yeah, the normals are real easy to tell. And then I got yeah. there's a couple that that are just like bright bright brick red, right. So I don't know if those if that's the caramel or if that's the IJ that's making them the brick red. Uh, and yes. then the shags I can kind of tell the difference. Um, if when you hold them side by side, I, I could see a bit of a difference between them. Right. But right. I plan on holding back a lot of that stuff. Uh, so I'll, I'll, you know, I have plenty of time to watch it grow. Sure. Sure. Cool. Well, you have one more clutch, you said, in the incubator with uh, albino jags and stuff, right? Yeah, head uh, albino to jag head albino. Okay, cool. And Owen, you, got, Owen, you still have one more uh, clutch in the incubator? Yeah, they're due the 17th, um, and that's uh, caramel, pas super caramel to exanic. Gotcha. (laughs) So caramel's at exanic. Well, hopefully, if she proves out, which, you know, it's the last box she has to check before she's officially labeled a super caramel. So. Gotcha. There you go. Okay. All right. So as we go through, we'll talk about some future plans and stuff. But, you know, what we wanted to talk about is uh, pre-breeding season and, uh, you know, giving the listeners uh, some tips and stuff for, you know, getting females ready for um, for breeding season. One of the things that, um, you know, body condition for females is always something that comes up and, um you know, listen, well, actually, I got this from Ben back in um, listening to the old episode of Ben uh, when he was first on. Uh, he was saying that the mass of the female, you take it, the mass of the female, you divide it by the length, and that's the what would equal the body condition. Um, and the thing you want to look at is like a 1,000 grams for a one-year-old female is way different than if you had a 10-year-old female that was a 1,000 grams. Like the 10-year-old female probably is not going to lay. Um, so uh, body condition is, is really important uh, so that, mm-hmm. um, you know, the female has enough, uh, you know, um, enough reserves to uh, produce, uh, you know, eggs. Um, because it takes a lot out of the female. So I think, uh, you know, Chris, you were talking about how, you know, maybe that the female wasn't, it didn't put on enough weight and then you get slugs, which, uh, you know, that's a possibility. So you want to think about things like that going into breeding season and, 
know, I'll talk about what I do real quick, and then you guys can hit on what you do. Like right now, starting in June, um, basically I do like a cycle feeding, and with my females in particular that I know that I am going to breed or try to breed that upcoming season, what I'll do is, is that I give them larger meals and more often. Um, and basically, um, you know, for me to say this, it's kind of crazy, but I'm giving them extra large rats, <laughs> which is so uh, normal, normal feedings for Owen. All right. So, okay. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I do it a week, every week up until right before I let them uh, cool down, uh, right before I go into cool down, because I kind of let them empty out for a month. Now, if you listen to mm. Ben, uh, one of the things that he says on that show, and he says this in the Complete Carpet Python as well, he talks about how um, there was, uh, like, if, if you back off a of feeding then the female might not produce as much uh, as uh, she would have. Um, so, you know, depending on what you want to accomplish, uh, you know, you should probably keep, keep her on food uh, up until, you know, I guess she stops eating. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that one because I've always just stopped feeding. I just kind of hammer them with food beforehand and make sure that they're, I would say, slightly overweight is kind of what I, I go for. Um, and then, you know, I kind of just uh, judge how she looks and what the condition is and I go from there. But um, I also, which we'll get into, I also feed a, a few small meals once the female is ovulated or it looks like she's going to go into ovulation or basically when I warm them up, when I warm them back up. Mm -hmm. So that seems to have worked really well for me, but um you know, that's pretty much how I approach females, males. I, you know, I'll give them a little bit of a larger meal. Um, like I typically feed my males small rats. I move them up to medium rats and I still don't feed them probably. I don't, I would say probably every two weeks is kind of what I, what I go with males. Cause you know, they don't need, I mean, they're, I don't really have males that go off food, so to speak. I, well, Actually, I can't say that because I don't know if they go off food because I basically don't feed from yeah. November to when they warm up. So I don't I don't even know if they would eat or not. There have been exceptions to that rule. Like if I've noticed that a male looks kind of shitty and he just is like breed, 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 and maybe he's going to a couple different females or something like that, I may offer a meal here and there. Mm. But um you know, it really doesn't affect me too much because I have normal uh, temperatures during the day. My temperatures drop when it's at night. So that's kind of what I do. I don't know. Maybe you guys, uh, you can hit on what you do, what you do, like going in pre-breeding season, if anything. Go ahead, Chris. All right, I'll go. Um, I don't really have a feed schedule. Um, I kind of feed when when I, I, not, not that I, not when I remember, but, uh, the females I'll feed more, more often. Um, males here stay pretty small. I have proven breeders that weigh maybe 400 to 500 grams. Um, but I don't, I don't feed on a, on a crazy schedule. Like I know you, you said you feed once you start feeding that like seasonal, um, schedule, 
where you yep. feed a female once a week. Yeah, I'm yep. I'm still not doing that. Uh, I'll feed a female maybe two every two weeks or every three weeks. Um, okay. I do feed sometimes really big meals. Um, I actually have a friend who breeds ball pythons, and he breeds his own rodents. And his ball pythons won't eat his really, really big breeder rats when he's, when he's killing them off. So I'll take them. And these uh, things are like the size of house cats. And my okay. females will eat them. But then I don't have to feed that female for a couple weeks. Wow. Uh, and then I usually stop feeding, I want to say, October, November. I probably stop feeding earlier than I should. Uh, I think this year I'm going to let it, I'm going to feed a little bit later um, and see if maybe that, that changes anything. But um, I usually feed my last meal the beginning of October and then that's it. Uh, okay. I've offered meals to males that I wasn't breeding and they'll usually refuse them. But right. I've also had males, I've also had males that I was rotating between females. So I may leave that male in with the female for a couple of weeks. And then when I take him out, I'll offer him a meal and I've had him take it. So it just seems to be, uh, depends on the animal uh, with the way right. males eating during breeding season. Uh, as far as temperatures, the only thing that I change is I'll change the time that my night drop starts. So during the summer, I'll have my thermostat set where it's maybe 12 hours as daytime temperatures and or 14 hours daytime temperatures, and then the rest is, you know, then I start the night drop. In the uh -huh. winter, I'll cut it down to maybe uh, eight hours will be my, uh, my daytime temperatures. The way my room is, I have a lot of windows. Uh, we've talked about this. It's my room. Uh, my room has, like, no solid walls. It's, it's windows on all sides. So it's almost like a greenhouse inside. So in the summer, I could probably shut my heat off and get away with it. In the winter, the temperature drops. So I don't even have to work to get my temperatures drop, where maybe somebody who has a, a room that's in the middle of their house that doesn't have windows and the walls don't touch the outside, or right. someone who may keep their collection in a basement, which may hold a more constant temperature, whatever the temperature is outside, that's going to affect my room. So I don't, like I said, I don't have to work to, to change the temperatures. It's easy for me. I let, I let my room do all the work with the temperature. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So you sort of, well, you, I guess you, you kind of, you're, you're just not feeding as much as I am. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm probably not weeks. feeding my females as much as you are during the leading up to the breeding season. But I bet you, if you were to look at the amount of meals that your animals get as, and my animals, I bet you it would probably average about the same. It's just the way or the timing of when we're doing it. Like I condense mine mm -hmm. all into one spot where you guys, I think, oh, and you're probably the same way. You probably spread it out more. I don't know. You tell us what you do. Uh, I will. So I, like, oh, yeah, I spread it out. Uh, I spread my feedings out more. You're right. Right. Gotcha. 
I definitely spread my feedings out more and it's like uh, there's I don't raise the uh, food item that an animal gets depending on like there's no point where an animal here that usually gets medium rats will then be pushed up to a large rat. They just get medium rats, then which might get them more often. Um, right. So what will end up happening is right now I'm on the everyone's recovering from breeding season feeding cycle where yeah. it's like what Chris said. I'll feed when I think I remember to feed, um, unless you are a baby. If you're a baby, you're a once a week thing, um, uh, or if I feel you need to. So like right now, once a week, babies get fed, and that's you know just hatched all the way up to uh, year olds. They get food, um, and then if I have a female that I think is particularly a little bit on the leaner side, she'll get food as well. Um, as we get closer to August. I'm going to start paying a little bit more attention to that. So probably around, we'll say this week, I'll probably start it. I'll start going down like, and when I go down for the once a week baby feedings, there'll be more adults that will be fed. And it's usually the girls, unless I have a boy that is a little bit on the thin side, or I have a boy that's right on that razor's edge of, do I think you're ready to roll? Um, So I'll probably go down and start throwing food at any female that's bred the past year. Um, especially those and any female that I think is almost big enough and we'll kind of a little bit more of a heavier hand feed with them. And then, uh, we'll can, continue that all the way through to August. The boys get the food the way the boys get the food that never changes. So they'll get fed maybe every other feeding, something like that, but they'll get their normal size, you know, mediums to larges, uh, food and that's it. Um, and that's just for pythons that we're talking about. Colubrids, uh, they just kind of get it. So um, the thing is with that is that just kind of gives them a little bit. Uh, I want everybody to kind of gain a little bit of weight before I turn the spigot completely off, which is like October, it just shuts down. And everybody, nobody gets food. Um, and everybody just kind of empties out. Uh, they stay empty through, you know, November, winter, cool down, all that fun stuff. And then when they come back up in uh, February, when they start coming back up, I'll feed whoever looks hungry. Because I think I've had more success in the past recent years where I will put them together. Nothing will happen. I'll separate. I'll offer food to everybody, and then a bunch of them eat, and then I put them back together again, and that's when I get the locks. Gotcha. So, well, we did yeah. have we did have a uh, question pop up in the chat. Uh, Brandon Sander was asking, um, do these feeding methods still apply if you're going to keep smaller animals and smaller clutches by design? Well, for me personally, my animals are small. Um, yeah. You know, um, so I'm not really feeding, you know, well, I'm not feeding at all during the cool down. Uh, Like, so basically from November to February, I don't feed anything. Um, I don't even feed babies. And the reason is, is because a lot of them that I'm holding back, like if I know that there's something that I'm going to get, that I'm going to sell that I'm not going to hold on to, I, I would probably approach it differently. And I have, I would right. feed them probably, I, I usually go bi-weekly, but sometimes I'll do weekly. I don't, I don't really stick to a schedule with that, but 
But if I know that mm-hmm. these are holdbacks of mine, my approach is that I want them conditioned to what I am going to do and how I breed. So I feel that if they're in the wild, they're going to be exposed to the same thing and the same temperatures and the same food and all that is going to be the same um, as the adults. So why would I change anything different? Well, the, right. the drawback to that is it's going to take me longer to get animals to size. That's, that's, right. that's the drawback. Um, but on that three, three, three and a half year mark, which is kind of what I shoot for, for, you know, for a female anyway, um, they're usually right on track. Now, the other drawback is, is that I'm not going to get huge clutches. So I think mm-hmm. my average clutch size is maybe 10, 12, you know, something like that. Maybe sometimes 15 on the, you know, I think the biggest clutch that I've ever had was 18 eggs was from a big caramel female, um, <laughs> which Owen's probably laughing at. <laughs> I'm not laughing. <laughs> I am not, I am not uh, laughing. Um, so but i do that on purpose i would rather have smaller clutches by more different or more different by different more different uh, yeah excuse me by different uh uh pairings than to have one big clutch of the same pairing so um that's kind of what how i approach it um once they come off of so like coming off of breeding I will feed them, uh, like, you know, if I'm going to do maternal incubation, that female is not getting bred the following year. Uh, I, that's yeah. just me, personally. I know that people that, you know, kind of pound the food to the girl and get her up to size. Maybe, Chris, I don't know if that's something that you've done, that, you know, you've done maternal incubation and then yeah, bred her so the following I, year. When I, did, when I did maternal incubation, I did it with that female because I knew I was giving her the following year off. Right. And... Look, looking at her after that clutch hatched, I have no idea how I'd even get her back up to size to breed. Yeah, they look oh. bad, man. <laughs> they, they really they do. Look like they look like shit. Yeah. And that clutch even when I was back, the clutch that I maternally incubated, it took, I want to say, 72 days to hatch. Okay. Uh, that's a long time. You know, yeah. that's a yeah. whole nother, that's more than two more months that she's not eating. I can't imagine uh, stuffing her with food to get her ready for the next breeding season. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, man. It's, it's one of those things. Like I, I, I've seen, I've, I have heard of people doing it, but me personally, I just don't, I'm with you, man. Like when those females come off that eggs and they're pipping out, they look like they're about to die. They look bad. Uh, they're super skinny. There's like nothing going on. And then, you know, so I, I think to try to breed that female, the following year is, is you're probably going to shorten the life of that snake. Um, so that's just, just as me uh, and how I approach it. I, you know, like I said, some people have done it, but it depends on, you know, how you look at it. Um, I think that, uh, you know, well, what I was going to say is like coming out of breeding season, if it's a, if it's a clutch that I'm incubating, um, then I'll put it in the incubator and I will just kind of go on a, a weekly feed schedule for probably like a month or so. I don't offer big meals at that point. I think the biggest that I offer is like a medium rat and that's to my females as well, which is, uh, which is a fairly sized, good size meal for, for a female. Um, 
and then I kind of back off for a little bit and then, you know, then I go into my, like my, what I call my summer feeding schedule. Um, I do cycle. I don't know if it matters. Uh, you know, it's like, I think when you're breeding, I don't know, you guys can tell me your thoughts on this, but I think that there's like, say five switches, you know, that you have to hit, you know, whether it's feeding, whether it's temperatures, whether it's lights, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, well, I guess that would be three. I don't know. Some people do uh, misting and stuff like that. But if you hit like three of those things, you're probably going to have success. Um, that doesn't mean that one's right or one's wrong. Um, it's just that some people, you know, approach things in a different way. I kind of just kind of like let it flow. Uh, I, you know, and, and just let, you know, naturally temperatures in my room uh, will, you know, uh, will decrease. Uh, this is a new room for me. So I'm, I'm assuming that it's going to work the same. That's another reason why I didn't breed this, this past year is because I wanted to see how the temperatures, uh, you know, worked in the room. Um, basically I turn off heat at night. I don't have any heat on in the room. Uh, my kind of thoughts with that is, is that, you know, when these snakes are in the wild, they're not getting any heat. So, you know, I think they maybe need that cool down, uh, type of deal. But what happens is naturally the room cools down in the wintertime, uh, just by itself. So, you know, I don't have to do anything except all the heat turns off. So all my heat tape or, you know, my uh, thermostats just shut off at night. Um, and then I physically turn off the uh, heater at night that keeps my ambient temp around 82. Um, but uh, I think those cycles, they get, they get, you know, Ryan Young, I think it was on GTP Keeper Radio when they were talking about breeding chondros. One of the things that he said that stuck out to me was, is like all of his snakes sort of already know that it's breeding season before uh, the breeding season is, you know, before he actually starts to, uh, you know, to cycle his animals because he's been doing it for so long and he's following the same routine. One of the things I never understood is like when you get a routine and it's successful, then all of a sudden you start tweaking it. Like somebody's like, Oh, well, I'm going to do it this way next year. And, you know, I don't know. It just seems silly to me. Like if, if whatever work is working for you, and you're getting good results and you're getting them consistently. I don't know why you would change it. You know, it's just, <laughs> yeah, I think some people start to overthink it. And the more you yeah. think about it, the more you start, the more you start changing things. And it, it could be so minor. Um, since when I was well, my, my first breeding season um, in 2012, since I, I hatched out a, a good clutch, I tried not to change a single thing from then because it obviously worked and uh there were some seasons where i started you know i would overthink uh the placement of my cages or temperatures in the room temperatures in my cage i was constantly checking them and i decided to just back off and not touch any of that stuff so right i, I think that's where you run into problems when you start when you start changing everything absolutely i agree you know I mean, oh, and you do you do things your way. I do things my yep. way. Chris, you do things your way. We're all having success, you know. Uh, so, like, I think the only time that I tweaked it is, like, you know, like, okay, so I'll give you an example of, of how I learned that lesson of, like, trying to tweak it. You know, back when I tried to do that ambient temperature method, 
that was a total disaster for me. So like in 2013, I didn't breed a goddamn thing. Nothing would breed. I couldn't get anything to go. I got RIs. I got, it was just, it was just bad because I think what I did is I just changed the routine that I've been doing with these animals for X amount of years. And they were like, what the hell is going on? And they stressed out. Some got sick, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I went back to my old method and I just, you know, that's, that again is why I sort of conditioned the babies, you know, uh, from the get go. Uh, so that way they're kind of in the cycle. Um, I will say that, uh, it's pretty stupid, easy to breed IJs. Um, and you know, it's kind of like if you look at, uh, which, you know, bulk of my collection is, is IJs. Uh, if you look at, at, where they come from, they don't really get fluctuations in temperature. Um, so I don't think they really need that much of a, of a drop. And that's sort of what we were talking about earlier when Nick was on, how he was saying that, you know, IJs are the easiest carpet to breed. Um, you know, I don't think they need that drastic drop. So that's typically why you see them go uh, first. So I think, oh, and I could be wrong, but I think like a lot of times maybe why you might have missed with the IJs was because you were breeding them when you would breed your coastal. So you weren't getting that male in there uh, when that female was ovulating and ready to rock, you know, cause you saw locks, right? You know, I had them, I had them in there. I put them in, in October cause maybe year one, I missed it, but you know, I started doing, they were together before the cool down. I think the year before I gave her to Jason, I had him in there in like August so, you know, it wasn't like the, he's not in there at the right time. It's just that they got, they locked up. It just, nothing ever came of it. So my she money's on, my money's on the boy, you know, it's, and, and with the, with the issues that Jason had with the clutch after the fact is mm-hmm. like, it might be the boy and the girl, you know, I might be trying to, you know, roll a, boulder up a hill i mean this is like trying way harder than it needed to be so right chris we may know. have to get him a paranormal ij so that uh he can no i don't want them <laughs> okay no i can do that <laughs> if you're gonna do it do exanix <laughs> well either way whatever it is um i'm gonna read that brandon had another question and i'm gonna read it off and then uh maybe chris you could hit it first and see what your thoughts are and then we'll go around but um it says uh, he's been trying to breed jungles for years, and somewhere along the line, uh, he keeps uh, screwing up and missing out. I keep hearing about waiting for certain sizes and ages before breeding uh, should be done, so I understand waiting for about three, three and a half years, but what would be the appropriate size, especially if you're keeping small animals so you can have smaller clutches? Uh well, as far as breeding, I've never bred jungles. Uh-huh. Um, but I would think that – I would think age would play a, a pretty big factor, too. Uh, so if you have a smaller animal, but she's older, then there shouldn't be a problem. Whereas a younger and smaller animal – you know what I'm trying to say? I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, so – I think if she's an older animal, but on the smaller side, then there, there shouldn't be a, a, a problem with the, with the size. Because most yeah, of my females are, are small. Um, I've, 
I have an IJ who I've bred, I bred her four years in a row and she was never more than 2000 grams. Um, her first season she bred at 1600 grams. Uh, even yeah. my IJ Jag, 1600, 1500 grams. Um, but they were just, uh, the body condition was good and their age was good. Yeah, I think back in the day, it was probably, uh, I think the going thought was, is that certain, you know, females had to be about 3,000 grams and males had to be about 2,000 grams. I'm kind of with you, man. I mean, I've had uh, my one, uh, Michael Pinnell, IJ, uh, she's produced multiple years, um, which is funny because I have one of her offspring that I, I got from uh, from somebody and um, she the, the, the offspring is way bigger than her. She's maybe yeah, four foot, may, maybe four foot, maybe. Um, and she produced uh, 13 eggs. Um, now, I know they're not jungles, but, you know, I, I mean, I had a zebra head albino. Maybe, I mean, she's in a 41-quart tub. So uh, she's not she's not big by any stretch of the means, but she's thick. So she's got good. So I think one of the things that I look at for maturity is the head. Carpet pythons have big, bulky heads, and there's just something about the way the head looks from when they're a baby as opposed to when they're an adult. And I, I, I should probably take a picture of my um, – one of my Darwins, she's got a big body, but a small head. And I think that was the problem I was having with my exanic female as well. Big girl, but small head. Now all of a sudden she has a right. big head and a big body. Like the body matches the head, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. So what I would say is I think Chris is right on with the whole like, if it's a smaller female and she's a little bit on the younger side, you're kind of, it's two things going against you. Um, you know, and I have mainly coastals and I don't like weighing things into grams because I never used to do it and I'm not going to start now, but, um, I have four, uh, five foot female coastals that'll give you between, uh, 15 and 20 eggs a season. Mm -hmm. uh, and then of course I have my monsters. And my monsters were when I was, you know, getting into carpets and I fed like crazy. And they're my seven foot females and they'll be into the thirties with eggs. Uh, so that's there. Um, and I have kind of the same thing that you were talking about where I have uh, two sisters, um, both were produced here by my carpet, my, my caramel uh, Venus. Uh, one is a caramel tiger. And mm -hmm. then her sister, the year after, is that supposed uh, possible um, super caramel. And the caramel tiger should be on her second clutch, but I cannot get her up to size. She's starting to get that bulk in that head, but she had some trouble shifting from, like, she only really wanted small rats, and I couldn't get her up any further. So her sister literally, like, leapfrogged her size-wise, and uh is right at where i want her to be where i want all my female carpets to be so and she gave me 14 eggs but a lot of them are slugs so uh it's her, and it's her first year so we're down to four now but gotcha. that's where we want to be so you can pretty much get there um 
easily, but I'd say if it's anything over four feet long, uh, you've gone a little too far. And the same thing with boys is that everyone says that um, males can breed really, really, really tiny. Like, uh, and I've only ever had one male that would ever breed at 18 months old. It's like, it's gotta be like a perfect storm. He's gotta have like the right body condition and the eagerness to do it because uh, any other boy I've tried, it just wants to get the hell out of there. So, um, and the females got to not be too intimidating. So it, it's one of those things. Um, but if you've been trying year after year to get your jungle clutch going and you haven't seen anything, any action whatsoever, no locks, no nothing, I think it's time to resex the animals. I was just going to say the same thing. And I've been there. And, and you know, it's, 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 not, it's not a horrible thing. And, and I know everybody wants to, like, just freaking die after it happens. But, you know, you can do that. Where I, I, my first, this is my – I produced jungles for the first time this year. Mm-hmm. And they weren't even my freaking animals. They were Kyle's that he dropped off here. So, I mean, because every time I kept trying to get jungle projects going over here, I ended up with too many of the same-sex animals. It's like uh, I tried breeding the zebra jack to that wonderful jungle coastal that I got turned out to be a boy. <laughs> so, you know, then that <laughs> totally scrapped everything. And then yeah. I, I got a jungle from Scott Borden um, that he uh, sold me, turned out to be a boy. And it's like, Jesus Christ. So that's kind of what ended up happening. And then the one clutch I did get, uh, my female ended up getting uh, – they're all slugs. So, you know, that sometimes is luck of the draw. But even with all that bad luck, I still saw locks. I still saw slugs. I still saw everything else. If you're not seeing anything, then you kind of got to, you kind of got to resex everybody. And unfortunately, if something comes up, if they're older now, you got to probe them. And probing is, I think, in my opinion, like, the most shoddy way to sex an animal because with the tweening and all that crap that we keep getting at carpet pythons where it's like, well, it could be a boy, you know, mm-hmm. that, that really sucks. So part of me is like the only real way to determine if it's a male or a female is get a proven boy, <laughs> throw him in there. He'll let you know who's who, <laughs> you know, you yeah, combat one and try either combat it or try to breed it. So, you know, but. Yeah, so <laughs> that's so true. Um, I think I saw a post the other day, something about that with a lot of, it uh, seems like there's been a lot lately where uh, people have been getting missex snakes and um, especially with carpets. Um, and I was asking you, Owen, like with the probing and stuff, like I know like I, I've just, uh, I just adopted your method where you kind of pop like right out of the egg and yeah. you sort of get a feel for, you know, what it is. But even that's not 100%. You know, you pop later on. It isn't. So you think it's like I, I, I pop right out of the egg and I mark everything. The only time I've ever released an animal, at least that I know of, that I've ever released an animal that turned out to be the wrong sex is when I released it and I sold it and then someone confused the pair and got the boy and the girl mixed up and sold them the freaking KJ. So, you know, that's kind of how that worked out. 
Okay. He's like, he's like the male, like the male from you is making eggs. I'm like, that's not the boy. <laughs> so yeah, that's <laughs> but then that something's wrong there. So that's that just like and and shit like that happens, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know people like Jason. Jason doesn't sex anything until he's about to get rid of it. So he probes at the table, like right there. And now Jason is very good at probing to the point where I will bring him over animals and be like, check this for me. And he'll do it and make it sure. I mean, I hate uh, getting animals from other people that are like a year or so old. And they're like, I never really sexed it. Like, God damn it. Because then I have to do it. So um, the problem I have coming up this year is I've mixed up my olive pythons. I don't know which one is which. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have a pair. What does it matter? I have a Uh, a reverse trio. It matters. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm sitting here, and I'm like, we've had several years with one boy, and he hasn't done shit. But I have this other boy, and he is significantly smaller than the female. And i got to figure out who's who. Because if I put the tiny guy in there with the other male by accident, it's going to be a freaking bloodbath. So um, that'll be future Owen's problem. He's got to figure that one out before, you know, breeding season. Yeah, now, and uh, just a comment real quick for Brandon. Um, I don't know if he's tried this or not, but um, one sure way to get males to go is to, to do a little combat. If you don't have access yeah. to another male, I mean, it doesn't even have to be another male jungle. It could be just another male carpet. But carpet, if, you, yeah. if you don't, um, if you don't have <laughs> that, a shed, you know, I think uh, yeah. one of the things I you can do idea. is you get sheds, you put it in a squirt bottle, you get all that freaking musty water, let it sit and soak and get stanky and stinky, and then just spray it on the mail, and they'll go freaking wild, man. They'll just be like, what the hell is going on in this cage? Just, and, just, just a memo. Just, just, kiss this. just a memo, just throw it out at the end of the season. Don't do what Owen did and have it <laughs> in like a dark green bottle. And then I'm like, what is this? And you crack it open thinking it's cleaner, and you take a wonderful whip and nearly pass out in your own damn room. So, yeah. yeah, throw it out. Or even if you have multiple male snakes, just just when they shed, just take it and rip it apart and throw pieces of it in every single cage that he's not going into because that'll be enough. Sometimes that close right. proximity and that shed stuff. Like I threw um, I threw my Macos Python's shed in with my male olive, and he shoved his entire face into it and was just like flicking his tongue at it and – then he spent the rest of the day ripping around the cage. So sometimes they need that. Right. So I'll start with you, Chris. Chris, do you what do you, do you how do you figure out what you're going to breed? What are you looking for? Like, let's talk about like you know selective breeding uh, when it comes to that. Like, what what do you look at? What do you? Um, as far as uh, like like selectively breeding an animal, I usually go with. Uh, like with my IJs, I've been going with pattern because uh-huh. uh, I love striped stuff. I'm like you. Yeah. So I usually hold on to a lot of things that are striped and uh, and mess with that. Um, I usually go with pattern more than color. Uh, and, um, yeah, then I also look to see what, what sold for me the year before. 
Um, okay. One year, I want to say, was it 2016? I only bred one. I only did one pairing because I still had animals from the previous year, and I wasn't going to produce more if I still had animals from the previous year. But when I when I called in, I kind of called in in the middle of you guys. I think you were talking about this, um, how you had animals, but they were a year older, so they look better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can look at it both ways. You can not breed a pair because you still have stuff left over, or you could repeat the pairing and then, you know, push your older stuff and then raise up the younger animals and again do that same thing where you know a year later they've colored up uh, you know what i'm saying yeah right and also uh, the I, older siblings the older siblings sell the, sell the younger yeah, ones yeah, it's like, oh yeah animals. look at this yeah. guy yeah yeah and also it gives a little bit of i like it having a little bit of the price break where it's like hey the older one's 250 um, but hey, the younger one's two hundred, and sometimes that stupid fifty dollars will enough to sway somebody to buy something. So well, you know, shit. Look at look at jungles, right? You could have a baby jungle from one pairing. You know, let's say it's a it's a well known pairing, killer pairing. You know, here you go, um, and, and you're sort of rolling the dice on whether or not this baby's going to turn out to be a killer. I mean, you can look at the parents and you can kind of judge. And a lot of time that'll give you a good idea of what it's going to look like, but that doesn't mean that they're all going to turn out as equally as stellar. Obviously there's going to be really, really, really nice ones. There's going to be nice ones. There's going to be ones that are okay. And then every once in a while, you're going to get shitty ones. Um, it seems like with jungles in particular, you know, especially guys like Chris at Headhunters and, you know, guys that are really, really refined, you know, Mike Curtin at Scattershot Exotics, he's another one. Like, these guys have really refined uh, looks, so they get more consistent results uh, in their parents. But, you know, that same jungle a year later, what, 800 bucks, 1000 bucks? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, uh, and, and I think you're right, Chris. I think it's a good way to look at it that, uh, you know, that animal could um, sort of, you know, produce uh, or help sell uh, the animals that are that are younger. Um, you know, having those. I also girls. look at. Um, I also look at what's going to be available, and then that'll help me decide what I'm going to hold back. So I knew that right. eventually I'd pry citrus tiger head albinos out of your hands. Right. So <laughs> when I when I produced my albinos, I kept the striped females back. So right. I have two striped right. females from two different years. I have a, a 2014 and 2015 because I knew that eventually I'd want to get a male citrus girl had albino from you. Right. So so I kind of based some stuff around what I knew would be out there in the future. Gotcha. Right. Yeah, that's a smart way to look at it. I mean, my parents are mapped out just because I kind of like, you know, with specific things, I'm looking for a specific look or it could be a morph or it could be whatever or from a specific pairing or a lineage or whatever. And, um, you know, I kind of like have it mapped out that, that these two are going to be a pair and they're going to breed. So I, I kind of write it down. Um, you know, I approach, I approach it differently uh, whether I'm breeding like say pure stuff as opposed to morph stuff. 
So like with more stuff, you know, first I got to produce the visual, then refine it. You know what I mean? Uh, so right. I don't really like, okay, so let's just take granites and exanics, right? So like granites have not been bred into things like GQ yet, like the GQ bloodline of IJs, which to me is just going to knock it up to the next level. Uh, they haven't been bred in with uh, poster child uh, lineage. They haven't been bred in with, you know, um, Leary lineage, you know, all this stuff that's, that's really killer. Um, you know, I have that uh, pair from Dumb and Sophie and the, the color on these things are just amazing. And I'm just imagining when you put that to a granite, how insane they're going to look. But first I got to get the visuals. Um, so like with Exanic, with Exanic granites and all this stuff, I think personally with Exanic, you know, if you breed like a, I know this sounds counterintuitive, but I'm just going by what I see with ball pythons. Like I think of a pastel Exanic, right? So pastel sort of turns up to yellow uh, and then you breed it to an Exanic and it just looks like, you know, somebody turned the lights on. I think that's why Jagged, Exanic Jags look so nice, you know, because they just like, they pop because that, you know, I know, again, it sounds counterintuitive, but so GQ Exanics are going to be out of this world. So like there's so much refinement you can do, but I want to produce, you know, IJs that are on the same level as what you're seeing with jungles. And I think that that's very, very possible. And, you know, it might take 10 years or so, but, um, you know, that's why I have so many. It's kind of like picking and choose pattern, color, pattern, color, and look, you know, uh, that kind of thing, and trying to uh, refine that way. Um, similar approach with my coastals, um, you know, same, same idea. Um, you know, certain ones have certain looks, uh, certain patterns, certain, you know, some have tipping, some don't, some are dark, some are light, you know, all these different things uh, that come into play when you're, when you're paired up. I think sometimes you just roll the dice and, you know, crazy stuff comes out too, you know. Uh, I don't know. Just that's kind of how I approach it. So, I don't know. What about you guys? What about you, Owen? Um, for me, I got kind of like my planned out projects and what I would like to do, but a lot of them kind of hinge on babies that are raising up currently. And I have to add a few things, which I'm not too keen on adding currently, but, and I always rather, I always rather make my breeding stock as opposed to buy it. So like right now I have the, uh, the eggs in the incubator that are that possibly the caramel head exanics. And I have a female caramel head exanic from Nick that I'm raising up. So my hope is that one of these caramel head exanics is going to be a drop dead gorgeous baby boy. And then I'm good and I'm happy. And then I've made my boy and I can ride him through. Um, and then that also brings up to the next level with all my caramel projects. So I'll keep adding the exanic to different things, different stuff down the line, the, uh, Exanic Jag will be ready probably next year and he'll go to some stuff too. So it's all these different things that I can do and I'll start making the uh, Carmel Exanics myself. Um, and that'll just be further on. Um, other things are uh, that I've kind of let fall by the wayside and I had to repurchase back into because I wasn't paying attention. Like I got rid of all my tigers. Like I got rid of all my normal natural like orange yellow or that cream kind of bone color tigers 
I had nothing but red tigers. So I'm like, you know what? I want to get a tiger to my exanic project. I have no freaking female tigers to breed to that would make any damn sense. So I had to track down and find and and I'm raising up now currently uh, 2.2 different line tigers. You know, one's uh, the, the one pair are the normal tigers, the original line, and the other pair are Russian reds. And it's like, why not? So a lot of the stuff is that way. Or it's like, like you said about the um, uh, locality stuff, it's hammered out. Like I got you for the reason of that you will be bred to this. Like, I'm not going to take my Russian reds and breed them to anything else but each other unless I get a really, really good-looking red, like, tiger jag or something female that I'll let the male go to. Other than that, that's it. I'm not going to take them and breed them to my other tiger stock. I'm not going to do anything else. So uh, it's kind of hammered out that way. Um, as far as what I look for in my holdbacks is, does it fit? Does it, is this what I want? Um, if all four of those eggs out of those caramel hexanics are caramel and all boys, I'm going to have a horrible freaking time trying to figure out who the hell's saying. So, um, it's just going to pen down, come down to who looks good, who looks better. So, and even then you sell it and the one you thought it was going to turn out ugly as sin turns out to be this gorgeous glowing animal on someone else's Facebook page a year from now. So it's kind of damned if you do dance, if you don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, what about, how about you, Chris? <laughs> you have any uh, other thoughts on that? No, I, I think uh, I had touched on, on how I took my stuff. I mean, okay. Uh, you know, just All right. if, if I like it, I, I keep it. Or, um, you know, like I said, if I look at, I look to see what I'm doing in the future. Like, you know, with the, like I said, the citrus tiger had albino stuff. I, I kept back all the striped albino. So I look ahead to the future too, when it comes to what I'm, what I'm going to keep back. Yeah, that's, that's kind of important. I think that's a, that's really uh, a smart way to do it. And, you know, a lot of times I think a lot of people probably don't keep as much stuff back as they should. Um, and some of us keep way too much stuff back. <laughs> I, 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 definitely like don't keep, I definitely don't keep back as much as I should. I just, I'm, I'm limited on space. Right. So, so I tend to have to be really selective with what I keep back or, or what I pick up. And uh, cause I, I keep all my adults in caging. Uh-huh. So that definitely takes up a lot more space than using racks. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And you're using yeah, I'm adding the, uh, more racks. AP carpet cage, right? Three foot by eight. What is it? Fifteen inches. Three foot long. Me? Yeah. I have you. um, I have the old style of uh, the reptile basics cage, where it was three foot by two foot by eighteen inches high. Okay. Um, I really like them because they're just one solid piece uh but they don't they don't make those anymore um and then i have some of the some like uh owen has i think it was evolution reptile those are those are three foot by two foot by 12 inch and then i i it's either 12 or 15 
And then I have oh, yours, uh, carpet. Yours are probably what? 15. Cause yours are probably 15. I had them make mine at 18 inches tall or high. Yeah, so. they're not that big. No. And then I have the AP carpet cages, which I really like. I wish I had just started with those from the beginning, uh, just so everything was was more uh, – uh, what's the word? Everything was uh, like all lined up because these, some of them, like they say three foot by two foot, but they're really not, you know, completely, they're not three feet. They're like, you know, two feet, 10 inches. Uh, so they don't line up perfectly like a stack of the AP would. But gotcha. They, they serve their purpose. I like them. And I like, I like seeing my snakes. I like, you know, I like going in the room and watching my adults move around. I have all perching in them, and they use it. So, so I stick with the caging. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. You know, I I like my cages. Like I love, like you said, being able to walk in and check everything out. Um, I have been. My problem right now is like I keep giving the cages to females. So I imagine in the very near future. Um, all my boys are going to be in racks and all the girls are going to be in cages because that's just how it's going to, it's, it's slowly becoming that way. Um, yep. But then I also have the other uh, non-carpet species tend to get cages over the carpet pythons too. So it's like, it's like you're a bread lie, go in the bin. The white lip is fragile, more fragile than you. So, you know, <laughs> it's like that kind of crap. But um, I, I, I found because I'm redoing my room right now, is that I am shifting things over to include more racks and I need more racks to handle a lot of the animals that I'm still raising up probably in the past, like since I moved here, probably in the past about three years, uh, my collection has gone through like this little roller coaster of numbers and I past year I've kind of like settled, but now all of a sudden I'm starting to increase more than I ever thought I would. So, and it's one of those where I kind of have adopted one more of Eric's things where it's like, if a clutch goes by and I'm not holding back like four animals from it, what the hell am I doing? It's, you know, and (laughs) you can always sell the animal that, you know, you're holding back a year later or something like that. So there's the holdbacks are fine. Keep as many holdbacks as you want. You always sell them later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so here's a, here's a question that, that came to mind. Has there any been, has there any been anything that you've tweaked over the years, uh, when it comes to breeding that actually, you know, was, was good or was bad? Uh, okay. I'll go, I guess I'll go. Um, I never used to feed during warm up, and mm-hmm. now I do, and I've had much better success with that. Mm-hmm. And then what I tweaked is when I moved, I have yet to get a bread lie clutch after that. So it's been three years since I got a bread, bread clutch and uh, can't seem to figure it out. Um, but we're going to try something new this year. And you, you like, you, it shouldn't be this hard. Nothing. I'm not doing anything different. It's just I don't know if I can get the temperature down to where – they were happy. And the other thing I did that messed up was, um, and it wasn't with pythons, it was colubrids. 
I did not take any of my collier birds outside of my room this year. I let them all winter inside the room. And because I did that and because they were on heat the entire time, I had three California king snakes this year. And I'm looking at two eggs of corn snakes out of like 2.2 cal kings and like 4.4 corn snakes. I got nothing. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I suck at breeding colubrids that are native to my state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about that. What a dick. Yeah. Yeah. So. Can't breed IJs. Can't breed. When did you say your corn snakes? I got the IJs. I at least get the half now. Send yeah. your corn snakes down to Balin. He'll breed them for you. Of course he will. <laughs> Balin will breed anything I send him. Send oh. him my white lips. Yeah. There you go. What about you, Chris? Uh, I, I've never, the only thing that I've changed is when I rearranged my cages, moved, moved females around and put them in cages that did have heat panels or didn't have heat panels. That's the only thing that I've changed. I don't know if that has anything to do with, uh, all the slugs that I got this year, Mm -hmm. but, uh, other than that, I haven't changed much. I've, I've kept everything the same since I started breeding. Huh. Okay. So are you going to, you're going to try to adopt anything new for you uh, because of the slugs that you got this year? I might pick up uh, more heat panels to add to my, my top cages. So that, that's, that'll probably be the only change. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. And I like uh and maybe feed feed later into the year rather than stop in October. Keep going. Um, like you said, let like let let the female tell me when she doesn't want to eat rather than me just picking a date and say mm-hmm. I'm not gonna feed anymore. Yeah, I think I, I mean, I don't know with you guys, but I think that I've noticed like this is the one thing that I've changed. Um because our winters seem to be warmer and they don't get oh, yeah. as cold. I was going to say that. Yeah. As, as they don't get as cold as fast. Um, like it used to be for me, Halloween is where yeah. I would say, okay, here's the day, Halloween. And from then on, it was no feeding. They would empty out all of November and then come December, you know, it would pretty much be cold ready to go you know we're getting down into like you know the average temperatures maybe like what maybe 35 40 degrees at night you know outside so you know it's a lot easier to get your room cool when you're dealing with those kind of uh with with tents at least in my room but i i noticed that what happens is is that like it may be cold for a day then it warms back up for two weeks then it'd be cold for another day then it warms back up for two weeks and Right. I found that like it. I think it screws them up. I think they're like, what's it? What's going on? So I don't really try to drop until I know that it's cold outside. Now that may mean that you know I'm not dropping temps until like maybe mid December. You know, I think the one year I started uh, at the end of December, which means the season's going to go a little late. But you know, um, I don't know what was me, it two years ago? And I'm sure you had it too. You're not that far from me. Two years ago, it was Christmas and it was 80 degrees out. Yes. Yes. Yep. I remember I was sweating my 
ass off of my mother's. And so, it wasn't yeah. just that one day. It was that whole week was in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, like I said, it's hard to get your room down, like when your females are, you know, or your your parents are thinking like, oh, yeah, it's wintertime. It's time to, to hunker down and mm. it's 80 degrees outside. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, I don't know. I kind of, uh, I kind of just wait. I kind of look at the temperature outside and kind of, kind of wait. So that's kind of what I've tweaked. Um, you know, uh, I guess it depends on what you have going on in your room. I know like, so for instance, if you're from like, you know, down South, Florida, Texas, areas like that, you know, those guys are using air conditioners in order to get their room at a certain time. Right. You know what I mean? So it just kind of depends on where you're at, but it kind of falls into the same, same type of, type of idea. Um, you know, you just have to apply it to your room and what you're working with. Um, so I just find it easier to use the outside temperatures to your advantage, um, rather than, uh, you know, trying to rely solely on equipment, whether you know, it be air or heating. I, I would ahead. agree. I mean, like, I want to say that I kind of was delayed this year too. Is because normally, like I said, I will stop feeding in October like first and stuff like that. But I think I've been pushing that back further and further. Um, just because like you said, if it's warm and they're whipping around the cage, looking for food, there's no point in start dropping them. So, uh, and that also might be where I've been kind of messed in, messing up with the red lie is, um, I haven't been keeping them out or letting them winter when it's really, really cold in that side room. I've been kind of like, I've been wintering them through December where it's like 60 to like 70 degrees. So I, I got to figure that out. Maybe let them winter through January. So February even. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys do anything else pre breeding season? Is there any other, uh, you know, Owen, do you have anything else I you mean, do? Pre breeding season, I'll go through everybody who I think, is coming up this year and just give every single animal a good assessment. And, you know, there's, this is the time to figure it out because if you're, if you have somebody who's, you have an animal that might be on a little bit of the razor's edge of maybe going this coming season, now's the time to put the food to it and to get it ready for that time. Um, now is also the time is that if you need to go pick up an animal um, and you want to have it go through quarantine and all that other stuff, you got to do it now because then it's done a 30-day quarantine by August, and then it can be in your collection for August, September, and October when you do everything that you're supposed to be thinking you're going to do. This is usually when I tell people, you need a boy or need a girl, now's the time to do it. This way they are settled in. You don't have to run the risk of getting anybody stressed out or any kind of respiratory infection in, uh, during cool-down. So, yeah, it's funny you say that. Just, I'm doing a, uh, a breeding loan with Mike, um, and I got to yeah. pick up uh, two, two, three jungles. Um, so yeah, he's he's moving. So you know we Brogman? were talking. Yeah, we were talking about the yeah. I got to I got to call him because he's supposed to send shit over here too. So so I'm going up to pick it up actually Monday because uh, ah. he's the Cajun and stuff uh, with it. 
But, uh, you know, I was, when we were talking about it, I was telling them, like, look, man, if we're going to do this breeding loan, I think it's, it's, it's a little easier with males. But when you're talking females, you need them, uh, you know, even now it might not be, it might not be, le- it might not be early enough. Um, you know, and who knows, hopefully uh, it's a proven female. So hopefully she'll go. It's not like we live in another state or something like that, but those are things you kind of, kind of got to look at. Um, yeah. I, I mean, so- I've had boys that I've gotten from somebody who was just down the road that they took a year to settle and before they started breeding. Yeah. Um, what about you, Chris? Any other things uh, you do? Do I do, do I do anything else weeding going into yeah. weeding season? Yeah, like yeah. is there any no, other I, things I think, that we didn't head on? No, I think I've uh, I think we've covered everything that I do going into the season. Um, usually, I don't weigh. I used to weigh my females. I don't even do that anymore. <laughs> um, I think I've. I, it's just too much trouble. I think I've gotten to the point where um, I'm comfortable eyeballing it. Gotcha. Knowing that the the females of size, um, but now other than everything I've I've touched on, I don't do anything else. Okay, cool. So the next topic that I that I put on the thing is, uh, you know, it kind of has to do with the market, but at the same time, it also ties into pre breeding season and thinking about you know what you're going to do and you know Andy Grossman like I said at the beginning, posted up this uh, post on the Carpet Python discussion page. And uh, I'm going to read it off and then, you know, we can kind of put our thoughts out there on, on what we think is going on. But um, uh, basically he said, when does it kick in that they're making too much? Meaning that like uh, on this particular one, he saw this on a ball python group uh, page or something like that. And the ball python guy was doing this, uh, you know, 50% uh, get ready for breeding season sale type of deal. So he says, when does uh, when does it kick in that they're making too much? I don't mean just ball pythons here, but as a hobby as a whole, when we realize we make too much. Uh, that's a generalized statement. Uh, I'm not pointing fingers. I just don't personally understand the mindset. I have 100 females and I need to breed them all every year. I just think mm-hmm. that we'd be in a better spot if we all – have animals uh, a year or two off, um, even <laughs> five years off, maybe focus on more selective breeding for refined traits. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Um, but does that, anybody else feel like this? Um, and uh, I don't know. My thoughts are, you know, when it comes to that kind of thing, you know, I think the number one rule is, is that you should only try to produce what you're going to keep and think uh, not what you're going to keep, what you can keep. So mm-hmm. for whatever reason, if you have to hold on to these babies for, say, a year, that you're willing to do that. If you produce 400 babies and you can't sell one, um, then, I don't know, you probably shouldn't be breeding, uh, you know, the following year. You should probably try to sell some babies or figure out what you're doing before you're moving on uh, to, to try breeding again. Um, I think that, you know, if we're just talking about carpets in particular, um, I think that a lot of this has to do with the whole chasing the greatest morph thing and being the one guy that makes the first combo. Um, you know, I, I think that has to do a lot with it. Um, and I'm not anti-morph, uh, you know, 
definitely not anti-morph. If anybody knows me, they know that that's definitely not true. Um, I just think that, you know, to chase that is kind of what leads people just to throw this together with that. You know, I want to produce a caramel, so I'm going to put this with, you know, I'm sure you guys have got the messages. I'm going to make a caramel jungle, and you're like, what? You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. when I'm at Hamburg and people are like, you know, there's no thought into what they're doing. It's not even like a nice jungle. They're just like, well, I have this jungle diamond coastal thing and I'm going to put it with, you know, this and I'm going to just produce caramels from it or I'm going to produce a jag or whatever. Just like, what? What are you talking about? Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, you know, I don't know. It's something that, uh, that, that, that to me is, you know, if an animal didn't sell at the price that you put it at, does that mean that the animal's not worth that because it's not what people are willing to pay? I mean, I don't know. It brings up, you know, some good points. Um, I think, I guess, at the end of the day, it comes down to personal responsibility. Um, you know, uh, I think that you have to sort of assess for yourself if, if you know, if you, you should do this or not. Um and I think the thing that we often forget is trying to recruit new people into carpet python or whatever python species or whatever reptile species you're working with, you know, because without new people, it's just going to saturate. And, you know, that's what you're going to have. Um, I, I don't know. What do you guys think? You got any other, any other thoughts? Uh, I, I think it's, you made a good point where you should, you shouldn't breed it unless you're able to hold on to it um, because then you get to the point where you're going you're gonna to produce more animals and then you're changing the price. Like you'll see people changing the price on their ads just to unload stuff to make room for new stuff. I, I don't right, really right. see a point of that. Um, but I do see a point to – producing more if you have stuff because then you're you're getting into a different a different group of possible customers. So the older animals they may cost more money and someone may may have the money to spend on those. And then maybe someone newer to carpet may not have as much money to spend on the older animal, but they'll they could afford to buy the younger animal and then you could use that older animal that you're selling to say, Hey, this is what it's going to look like in a year. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so buy the younger animal now, you know, but if you're not willing to sit on that animal, then, then don't produce more. I see it with, I I don't, I'm sure you see it with carpet pythons too, but I see it with ball pythons a lot where people say, you know, I'm dropping all my prices on my 2015s to make room for my 2016s and dropping the price on the 16s to make room for the 17s. I don't know. How many more pastels do you need to produce? That's, <laughs> that's the kill. That's the kicker part. Cause it's like dropping the prices on the 16s to make room for the 17s is like, okay, you, you know, you clearly just don't have enough baby cages or you're not doing that. But if it's like, I need to sell, every single pastel to make room for more pastels. It's like, why would you do that if you're having such a, that hard of a time getting rid of them? It's like, yeah, it doesn't I, make, it, yeah. It doesn't make sense to drop the price on an older animal because you've, 
you're losing your money then because yes, you're you putting are. so much money into that animal. Then you drop the price just to sell it to do the same thing the following year yes. with more of that same type of animal. It doesn't make sense. It, that that's that's what gets me. It's like if you were if you were dropping prices to open up cage space because your your the babies that are coming up are completely different than the animals that you're trying to get rid of. I totally understand that because it's like, okay, I bred these. They're not selling that great, but I need to open up cages because I have a whole bunch of brand new stock that has, that is like different pairing, different, more different, whatever the hell than what I'm trying to sell already drop prices to move them out. That I get. But if you're, it'd be like, if I, Produce if like if I bred a pair of tigers and the stripes came out kind of shitty, and I tried like hell to sell them, and then bred them again the next year and the stripes still came out shitty, and I tried like hell to sell everything and drop prices on it. It doesn't make any sense. So, but if yeah. one year I bred really good stripes, then it all starts making sense again. Yeah, I think the uh, the whole. The whole price thing is something that I struggle with a lot. Like, you know, mm-hmm. um, let's say you have a zebra granite jag, right? You know, so like a zebra is worth X, right? And then you're adding the jag and you add, say, 100 bucks. And then you add in the, you know, the granite. Do so you add in another 100 bucks on top of that? Is that the fair price? Is that kind of like what it should be worth? I mean, I don't know. I think with carpets in particular, I wish that we would go more towards, and some people do this, but I wish it would go more towards like a, um, a scale, you know, mm. because you'll have some animals that are like, I mean, oh, and you've seen this with caramels, you know, um, yeah. you'll have caramels that are freaking phenomenal. No, some and that aren't. Then, then you'll have ones that are like, oh, yeah, they're okay. I mean, it's the gene. Obviously, right, yeah. Car. I just got bit. Sorry. <laughs> you got bit. Stop cleaning during the show. <laughs> if I'm Surgeon, not allowed to clean right. during the show, you're not. Yeah. God damn it. Well, but no, and, and and Eric, I will agree with you is that, and that's what I've actually started to do, where it's like certain morphs and certain animals they're on a great. It's a great. It's like okay. So then, if you want this animal, you got to pay this much. You want this animal? Yeah. If you can't afford this one, hey, his just as cool but maybe not as good looking brother is for sale you can grab him so it, there's there's that and i would almost prefer like you said that more people would do the scale i've started it because it makes my life a hell of a lot easier um because then it's just like hey that one's got great caramel color barely any black it's like 20 bucks more expensive than its sister so yeah i think um I think the other thing that uh, that that people forget, like again, that's the same thing with breeding. Like you should be getting ready for a breeding season all year long. It's the same thing when it comes to marketing yourself. It's not something that you can just like put two snakes together just because you right. think that these are the prettiest carpet pythons out there. That somehow, you know, you're gonna be like oh, well, I'm going to go buy my jungles from this guy because he has an, I don't even know who he is or where he came from or what he's doing. Um, to me, I think that's just, I think that's just a bad way to market yourself. Um, yeah. One of the, one of the things that I've been doing as of late is uh, really going through in my collection and naming everything, because I think that naming your animal 
adds a certain mark. Like, like if you're saying like, oh, I got a zebra from the zebra Brinkley clutch. You know what I'm saying? It like, oh, right. you got zebra Brinkley. Like it all, it all, it, it gives your animal more cred or whatever. You know, like I, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's hokier. Uh, but like you think of like Madame Blueberry and Benjamin and all these animals that have names and like you could think of uh, you know um, just like some of Luke's like Mersault, Thor, uh, you know these animals that you know uh, Poster Child, you know uh, all the animals that are like uh, these lines and stuff. They you know not everybody does it, but I think it's a it's a good way to sort of to get your animal out there. I, th- I mean think of Molly Ringwald, Poison Ivy. Like in my collection, they're the ones that everybody knows. V. Why? Because they have names. The other ones are like, oh yeah, I really dig your uh, granite zebra. Blah blah blah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like nobody really looks at that the same way. I think it adds a little something to it. And not to sound like a broken record, but like if you want to like get out there and get people to know who you are and like market yourself for the following breeding season for love of God, go to a goddamn carpet fest. Like, hey, thank you. <laughs> you have uh, you have the perfect opportunity to sort of get out there and and meet people. And who knows, you might you might stumble upon somebody that you know maybe they want to do a breeding loan or maybe they had an animal that you know they didn't have for sale up or thing. But you get to talking to them and then you know you're like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I didn't know you had that. Oh man, check this out. You know, look at this thing. You know. Um, Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's just like you know. And, but when you choose not to do that, when then you're bitching because your snakes don't sell. Well, because you know, hey man, you got to get involved in the community and you got to put yourself out there. You know, uh, take some decent pictures for for the love mm-hmm. of God. I'm saying that twice yes. now. You know, like you put these <laughs> shitty pictures up, and trust me, I'm guilty of it. Back in the day, if you look at the very beginning of my Facebook uh, page, Eb Morelia. Like the pictures back then, they suck. <laughs> they were horrible, you know. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like, okay, if I'm going to sell these snakes and I want to portray them, like when Zach came over and started taking pictures, I'm like, holy shit, what a difference this makes! And like people are now knowing that I have this stuff, whereas before they didn't because of my shitty pictures uh, taking skills. Um, but you know, it's something that I had to work on, and I did, you know. And now, you know. I have a specific look to my, the way when I take pictures and, you know, people will know that, you know, that was all done purposely. It wasn't like by accident. You know, I really liked the way, um, actually what it was is Julie always took pictures on a green background. And like when right. she went to the show and I first saw it, like everything she had was on a green background. So it was like, wow, that's really impressive. Like how she thought of that. And I knew I wanted to copy her, but at the same time, not copy her. And I was like, well, I was going to do white. But then I look and it's like, well, Nick does white. So, like, when you see his pictures, you immediately know that Nick took that picture, you know. So, that's another. I'm like, okay, so what can I do? Let me do black, you know, and let's do this. So, you know, and obviously, Zach helped me with that. and You know, that's how that came about. But um, you got to post on, like, your Facebook page and, and your website or whatever, however you use it or whatever you do, whether it's YouTube or, you know, start a podcast or whatever it is that you're going to do, you have to Mm -hmm. do something to sort of get your name out there. Or like when you're asked to come on a podcast, you say yes and don't say no because you don't know what you would talk about. Like this is your opportunity to sort of like highlight yourself. 
Damn it, man. Highlight yourself, you know? I don't know. I get off the soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) Good good job. Can I touch on what you said about Carpet Fest? I was going to bring this up, but uh, now that you brought it up now, I might as well do it. So when I started breeding carpets in 2012, um, I, all I would do is go, I would go to the reptile expo. I would pick up my supplies. I wouldn't really talk to anybody. Um, my, my only interaction with like people in the reptile community was maybe on the forum, but uh-huh. I didn't go to the expos and hang out and talk to people. And then we went to, what was ICAS 2013? Yep. Yes. At ICAS, I want to say I probably only spoke to you two because I had spoke to you guys online more. Right. Um, and then each year that's gone by, I've gotten involved in more and more stuff. Like, I've done a lot more that I normally wouldn't do because of the reptile community. And right. I, norm- I would never go to it. Like, I didn't go to the Carpet Fest at, at Howard's house. But – I went to uh, the one at Owen, you know, one at yours. I went to the one at your house, Eric. I flew to Bill's house. Right. Yeah. And I hate flying. I hate getting on a plane. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I went to Tinley twice now. Yeah. Again, hate flying. And because of getting involved in all these different things, I went to Australia with Nick, Mark, and Stephen Cat, you know, three people who I probably never, I, I didn't know Mark. I didn't know Stephen. I had only met at your house during carpet test. Mm-hmm. So I was traveling to Australia with three people. I didn't even know. And <laughs> right, I did all crazy. this because what? Would you say I'm crazy? No, no, no. I'm saying that's crazy to think that. Yeah. Oh, I get what yeah. you mean, man. But I did it all because I, got, I, I chose to get involved in all this stuff. And now going to Carpet Fest, and I was at the last Carpet Fest at your house, people came up to me and knew specific animals that I had. Isn't that and freaky? I was, <laughs> yes, it is. I would never think that somebody, you know, because I don't have a business name. It's just my name. I don't have business cards. I don't vend expos. But – by getting involved in this stuff, I've had people come up to me and talk to me face-to-face. At this, and that's why people, instead of buying a snake, instead of spending, you know, $400 or $500 on the next morph, buy yourself a plane ticket and go to a carpet set. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I bought myself a train ticket and went down to you guys' house. Yeah. Right. You know, you know I bought the plane ticket. I, 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 when I decided that I wanted to go, I said, all right, I'm not going to buy these snakes this year. You know, I think, I think I'll get more of a reward out of going to one of these events and hanging out with everybody. Yeah. And I think that every, I think that more people should do that rather than, than worrying about buying the next, the next snake, you know, put that money towards something else. Yeah. I, I think that people forget that, you know, like, I think, I really think that a lot of people think just because they get X or Y and they think that, you know, like somehow, you know, one of the things that Nick told me when I first started is like, you know, I started buying these higher end morphs and high dollar morphs and stuff. And the thing that he told me is like, you have to do something that people are going to know your name. So 
You know, if somebody's going to come and spend, say, $2,000, they have to feel comfortable with you. They're not going to just send $2,000 to somebody they don't know. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, you're going to have to get involved and, and somehow, like, back then there was no Carpet Fest. There was only, you know, the forum. There wasn't even Facebook at that point. You know what I mean? So there was none of these things that today make it so easy. Back then, you really just had to, like, book. yeah, you had to pick, yeah, you didn't have a book, you didn't have a podcast, you didn't have none of this stuff. You just had to go and, like, pick up the phone and talk to people. Um, these days. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Goddamn millennial. <laughs> I had to you say that pro- for you. You promise. <laughs> anyway, um, but no, seriously, I, I, you know, I, and and now today it's so easy and simple uh, to to sort of you know get involved in these type of things and like actually have a conversation with somebody face to face to where you can tell them you know your thoughts or they're asking about an animal or a specific thing like you know you just can't put two snakes together and think you're going to sell a ton of snakes because even people that are good at selling snakes sometimes have a hard time selling snakes. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's where, like, if you hype up your animals, uh, you know, again, this goes into, like, the pre-breeding season. Like, put some hype into it, man. Take some pictures of the animals that you're going to be breeding and say, hey, listen, you know, here's, uh, you know, a coastal from uh, Madame Blueberry line. I picked it up from uh, Luke Snell and, uh, you know, things amazing. I'm hoping to produce animals that look like this and, you know, whatever. I think like, you know, I've done that with certain animals and I think that, uh, you know, the animal looking good helps. Don't get me wrong, but the fact that you're putting it out there all the time, you know, uh, I think like people know me like at carpet fest here, when they came, the one thing that they talked about with me constantly was poison ivy, poison ivy, poison ivy, dark IJs, dark IJs, dark, you know what I mean? It was like, so why is that? You know, because that's what people kind of know me for. They know me for that project. And um, hopefully one day I can produce it out. Another one is citrus tigers. Cause you know, it's like constantly putting it up there. Um, you know? Um, so I don't know. It's just something that, that people should think about. You know, there's YouTube, you can do YouTube, you Facebook live and all these different things where you can sort of, get yourself out there and, uh, mm-hmm. and promote yourself and your animals and what you're about. You know, I still think that, you know, I see a lot of websites are null and void and everybody uses Facebook, but I still think that, you know, websites do sort of have uh, something to them, especially well, if you can, you have to update it though. You can't have yes. your website from like, well, I haven't been on my website since 2006. Yeah. Okay. Probably not a good idea. You know. Go ahead. Well, let me let me put it this way. I I just updated my website last week. Brand new pictures, and I have three snakes that need to leave tomorrow. Right. (laughs) It's and and these aren't animals. Like and and, I'm sorry. uh, Two out of the three animals that are leaving have been listed on the website for about a year now. Wow. So there you go. Yeah. So sometimes that's just freshening it up. Like it's like a new coat of paint on something. It makes it look like brand new. So take the time, invest in the dumbass light tent and a good camera and you're good to go. 
So it's like camera cost me like 400 bucks and then the light tent cost me 70 bucks. Done. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And those are I mean, all from the website too. They're not even, none of those, those people went directly from like Google to the website to me. They didn't go through uh, my Facebook page. So. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't think you have to have a website. I just think it that helps. It's, it helps a lot in yeah. my opinion. You know, I think, Oh, and you've always been really good at naming your snakes. So like people know, like, you know, I hear people talk and they'll be like, Oh yeah. You know, Trinity, Echo, yeah. all these different animals so that weird. you have. You know? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, people know know them by name, you know. I've seen it when we were at Tinley, and people come up yeah. and be like, oh, man, I thought that, you know, uh, Sophie was the greatest animal ever. You know, uh, you have any yeah. offspring for her, and blah, 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 you know. So well, the good thing, and I kind of fell into that, and to be honest, it, it, what fell me into the whole, like, just naming them all was because, Every, it almost like everybody who had a name and had something attached to it, if the line erupted from that animal, it, it just became, it, it seemed to almost have legs on it. Like the tiger line gave us the tiger line, but you, you know, there was never any real animal that stood out to have anything named after it, which, you know, Balin could have, but uh, you know, MBB was around the same time. And it's we're kind of getting into it almost where some people don't realize that those letters actually have meaning, and that's for Madame Blueberry. So having her, it was Madame Blueberry Benjamin, like those animals you wanted to have in your line and looking at the chondral lineages where people were wanting to see certain animals in the lineage, in the tree. And, you know, I was also going through college where, uh, you know, one of my girlfriends was uh, – equine major so she's looking over like horse uh lineage charts and they want to see certain horses by their names and certain things like it makes it better so i got into naming all my animals because on the lineage chart or in the line i wanted to be able to have it in there so yeah yeah makes a difference it does i think so yeah, I don't know. I think that uh, um, I think the other thing that people have to think about is, is that um, I think there's certain things that will always sell and they always fetch yeah. a good price and they're pretty consistent. I think that jungles fall into that category. Diamond pythons fall into that category. You know, one thing you don't see a lot of anymore, jungle jags. But shit, man, I remember when, you know, I was at ICAST, it was at... Um, also at Hamburg, you would go there and see Mo and the jungle mm-hmm. jags that she had, and they would just like stop people in their tracks because they were just insane, you know. And it just seems like again, nobody's working with them anymore because it's like, oh, we're gonna have to add like four genes into it. It's like, I don't know, man. Sometimes uh, just working with a you know basic, yo, not for nothing, Chris, but IJ jags, you know, son of Bullwinkle and all that stuff, you know, I've I've I'm glad that you produced that stuff because now I know if I want to get it, where to go to get it. But I think that, you know, that's another thing. Like even with, uh, you know, somebody like uh, Anthony Caponetto, like Bullwinkle is a very well-known carpet python, you know, even people in Australia know who Bullwinkle is. So, you know, I don't know. 
I think that uh, that stuff's important. But. And I've never had a problem getting rid of those animals. They've, you know, they, I've always done well with them. Even if I, you know, had to hold on to it for a year, the way those animals color up, I mean, they're going to sell. I think Owen was at, or one of you was asking me if, about uh, if they should produce jag had granite because they weren't sure if they were going to sell. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it took, it, it took a little while, but eventually they went. I mean, I have, no, other than the two that I held back for myself, I have none left. Hmm. There you go. And, I think it's, you know, those, you think it's, you think it's because also that like nobody is working with that. Like to me, I think if you're going to make a jag hat granite, it seems like that would be, I hate using this term, but it would be byproduct from say, uh, you know, if you were breeding like a granite zebra to, uh, to a granite jag type of deal, you know, you're, you're going to mm. produce maybe a, uh, a jag hat granite in that mix. And it's like, okay, well, you know, this is cool, but, you know, but like with you, I think you're actually producing animals that, you know, that are killer looking, you know what I mean? Because you, you, mm. you picked stellar animals to start with, you know? Uh, I don't know. I think that matters in my opinion. It does. Ingredients in and all that crap. You got to have good stuff going in on both sides. In my opinion, it's not, you know, it, it's people tend to think that having a really good animal, like a boy and crossing it to a crappy looking girl is going to make a clutch of all good looking animals. That's not true. You might get one, but you really aren't giving yourself any favors. You need to have really good animals on both sides. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Selective breeding is, uh, is important. Um, you know, mm. and I, I don't know, man, I, I really do think like things like jungle jags, IJ jags, they seem to just kind of get lost in the, in the sauce, but you know, Again, pick a project that you want and become known for that. You know, I think of guys like John Battaglia, you know, like his Gamma Jags, his Diamond Jungle Jags are like, you know, everybody knows that, you know, everybody knows a Gamma Jag, you know. And it's, yeah. It's like one of those things when you see it, you're like, holy shit, that's a Gamma Line Jag, you know. Mm-hmm. Those are killer. Certain, certain <laughs> phrases have more weight to them than others and some people don't ever some people who aren't into that certain species will never understand that it's like when that one time i was selling a jungle for you and it was a lightning lot and the guy came up and he goes well i'm just gonna buy this guy's jungle over here and breed it to this guy's jungle over here and i'll make the same stuff i'm like no you won't he goes what do you mean i'm like you won't make lightning line you'll make crap so you know you'll make brown (laughs) brown jungles you try to sell them the same price as this jungle and it won't happen so right yeah but i don't know any closing thoughts uh we'll start with you chris anything closing you want to uh hit on words of advice Uh, no what words of advice anything uh along those lines yeah go to carpet fest there you go. That's I like one. it. Yep. Well said, sir. Well said. Oh, and that timer's still going off. Can I? Can I? I know. I know. So I know. Goes off? What does, does he? Is 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 the timer for the Sasquatch stuff? There it there is. There you go. <laughs> oh, I 
I thought about that about two hours ago, but I, I didn't, it couldn't fit into the conversation in any way. I was waiting for you to totally just interrupt the conversation. So, uh, I, I, uh, I messaged Joe in earlier and I was like, Hey, Chris is going to come and, and hang with us tonight. We're going to talk about, you know, preseason, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, he's like, Oh, great. It's going to be all Sasquatch. Bigfoot's going to be Bigfoot's pick for the first hour. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I didn't so I didn't know why you were messaging me this morning. I thought you were I thought you were gonna be in New York or something. You wanted to hang out. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you just messaged me in the morning and said you're doing anything tonight or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh but uh cool. So Chris, they wanna get yeah. in touch with you. How do they do it? How you know, where can they find your stuff? Um, I'm on Facebook, just my name, uh, Chris Salemi, and uh, my email is csalemi731 at gmail.com. Um, in most, I'm in most of the groups. Uh, I post pictures a lot. Uh, that's about it. Okay. And cool. I, I post I post a lot of ads. Uh, I post a lot on uh, Fauna. So if you're looking for animals that I have, uh, they're also on Fauna. Okay, cool. Very cool. So, uh, yeah, thanks for coming and hanging out with us, and uh, I'm looking forward to... Wait, I want to ask you before you go, didn't you tell me earlier that you bred a New Guinea to a something? I did. I have a New Guinea female, which I'm right. getting I'm getting a sibling to the one you're getting from Derek. Right. Uh, I should have it soon. Um I just wanted to mess around with, with that animal and, and see what pops out. Uh, so I put a granite to her. I got, what I got? I got seven eggs and um, two were badly kinked. I don't know if it happened when I had that, that bad, uh, the heat wave here where my incubator reached 93 degrees. No. Okay. And then wow. they're not even kinked. The tails, uh, the tails curl. Um, it's not even a kink. It's, they're pretty bad. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just going to keep everything back from that clutch and mess with it myself. Gotcha. But, cool. but I'll, I, they're starting to shed now. I'll send you some pictures of them. Uh, yeah, but, yeah that, that, that was more for me than to, than to put out there. Right. Okay. That I just made you put out there. <laughs> yeah, that's just happening. No, no. I, I God meant, damn uh, it. I meant... Uh, I'm not going to be selling them. I, they're all staying here. Right. I know you. <laughs> I'm just curious to see what the new guinea looks like. I am getting that mail from, uh, from Derek so I can continue that line because you really don't see many people. I, I know you have them, and I think Terrell has them, and that's about it. I don't know who else does. Yeah, that was one of those things that, uh, regardless of what it is, it's a specific thing in the carpet python world, and whether you know it is anything or it's not. Like that to me, that's an example of like if all of a sudden somebody came along and they said, "Oh, this is a Cape Fear carpet. Now it would be worth more," but because mm-hmm. it kind of looks like this, then it's kind of like, ah, nah, who cares, you know. But you put a name on it, then all of a sudden it's like, oh my god, that's the craziest thing ever. I need it. And then. And they're tiny. The female that produced the seven eggs, she's maybe, maybe a thousand to twelve hundred grams. She's not big yeah. at all. Yeah, they're she's a super. tiny animal. Yeah. 
And that's what Derek said, man. They produce really, really small, you know, like really mm-hmm. small. So cool. Cool deal. All right. Well, uh, thanks for uh, coming to hang out with us. And uh, yeah, so no it's, problem. It's been good, man. So keep us posted on your, uh, on your uh, babies and stuff. So. Yep, and I expect to see you this summer. Absolutely, yes. man. <laughs> Do trip. Take a trip yes. here. A- absolutely. I'll be up there. I told uh, you, with or without the wife. <laughs> Does he or mean me? Or, oh. <laughs> he mean sure, me or Dory? I will two. come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we're going to work that out. I'm probably thinking sometime in August is what I'm thinking. But. All right, sounds good. All right, man. Yep, I'll see Thanks, you. Thanks, Chris. All right. All right. Bye. Cool deal. All right, let's uh, let's run down the list and let's get out of here. Um, so next week's show, uh, pretty cool. We got Douglas Taylor coming on, and uh, nice. we're going to be talking black-headed pythons, but. We're also uh, going to be talking about some of the other cool stuff that uh, Douglas has worked with, including Baron's Racers. <gasps> Moosarana. Uh, yeah. And uh, some other cool things, uh, but uh, mainly focusing on blackheads. Um, I, I really like getting uh, some people with uh, different experiences when it comes to uh, blackhead pythons. And uh, I think it'll be a cool show. He's a cool guy. And that, for those who don't know, he's the guy that hosts the Northwest Carpet Fest. Uh, I believe he's yep. done all of them so far. But uh, so looking forward to talking with him. Uh, I know that uh, he's worked with Bolins. Uh, I know he's tried to breed them. I know he's gotten uh, everything up until the very end. Uh, so we'll probably hit on that as well. Uh, but uh, should be uh, should be I think his I think his animals may have went to Keith, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. So should be an awesome episode. Uh, so be sure to tune in next week. Uh, next week we'll be back to regular day Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so there you go. As far as us, Morelli Python Radio, you can check out our website MoreliaPythonRadio.com for everything Morelia. Stay up to date with us on our Facebook page. Give it a like. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Morelia Python. Uh, to listen to the show, you can do it on iTunes, Blog Talk page, Stitcher, whatever podcast app you choose. Just type in Morelia Python's radio. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, email us at info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Uh, a couple other uh, shout-outs I want to throw out there. Rough the links, uh, just to, uh, to give you an idea, uh, I – fed my olive pythons <laughs> the reptilinks and they no. freaking devoured it dude oh my Jesus. god it was so weird because when you looked at them they were like this long tube with a big hot dog in the middle. <laughs> it's just oh so my god but uh i fed them the uh i think it was rabbit and something maybe it was rabbit and something mixed but uh they loved it um I got the uh, water python to eat. I got the little reptilinks, and I know, like, uh, the microlinks and stuff, people were worried about it falling apart. I didn't have any problem. Devoured it down. Uh, so uh, check it out, reptilinks.com. Uh, Nick's an awesome dude. Um, 
and uh, you know they have uh, feeders as well. But uh, uh, he, he said he had a record record uh, month last month. I don't know if nice. that's coming on here or whatever, but uh, definitely a, a cool product and uh, what he's trying to do. I also got from him the frog scent, uh, which is pretty yeah. cool. Uh, I hit up some stubborn carpet pythons with that, like some babies that I was having trouble feeding. Boom. Yeah. Took it right away. So uh, it's pretty good stuff. That's um, good. And then uh, I got to give a shout out to uh, our good friend Ian Bissell, uh, S&J Reptiles. At some point, he's going to come on the show. I don't know. He keeps putting it. Maybe. That, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, he's just got a business, S&J Reptiles. That, uh, yeah. You know, trying, but uh, Ian does a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, helping me out, trying to get uh, contro people and different different uh, guests lined up. So, uh, you know, always got to give him a shout out. Um as far as myself, E.B. Morelli, you can follow what I'm doing in a few different ways. You can like my Facebook page, follow me on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can check out my website, ebmorelli.com. Any questions, uh, you can send them to eric at ebmorelli.com. Uh, let's see. I got. If you want to check out the website, you can see some of the pairings that I got uh, coming up. You know, we were talking about that. Uh, through the whole show and uh, kind of where I'm kind of trying to figure out how many I should do. Uh, so some may change uh, by breeding season, but uh, some are pretty much locked in. So that's all I got. What do you got? Owen? Cool. What I got is you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. Check out all the stuff we got going on over there. We did just update the babies for sale. I'm working on updating bios for all the adult animals and stuff like that as well as the list of shows that we'll be attending and vending. Uh, you can also go and give Rogue Reptiles a like at Facebook.com. Uh, there's also the gallery for all the animals that we have for sale over there as well. Uh, the next show I'll be vending is in the park, Chicago, in October. Taking the summer off, but I can still deliver animals to any of the East Coast reptile shows that I attend. So that would be this Saturday's Habit or Grace show. I can drop animals off there. And then the Oaks Reptile Show, which is next weekend as well, and the Hamburg Show in August. That's all we have for you, everybody, tonight. Uh, once again, we'll be back next week at the normal time on Tuesdays at 9 o'clock. So we'll see everybody back here for some more Moralia Python Radio. Good night. <laughs>